Welcome back to another episode of Crushin' Lemons. As always, my name's Ryan, and I'll be your host each episode. As the old saying goes, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. Here on Crushin' Lemons, we're dedicated to sharing the inspirational stories of our guests each week who've persevered through life's challenges. On today's episode, our special guest is Rachel, and she's going to talk to us about a very personal matter of dealing with infertility while her and her husband were attempting to start a family. While talking with Rachel, I learned that approximately one in four pregnancies ends in a miscarriage, and this is something that people don't tend to talk about. And I'm grateful that Rachel was comfortable enough talking to me about these topics to share with anyone else who may be struggling with infertility or miscarriages while trying to start their own family. So as we dive into the episode, it's time to sit back, relax, grab some lemonade, and join us as Rachel shares how she was able to take her lemon moment and make her very own lemonade. And once again, welcome back, everybody, to episode six of Crushing Lemons. As I mentioned before, our special guest is Rachel, and we'll get the episode kicked off by letting her introduce herself. Hi, everybody. My name is Rachel, and I live up in the Lansing, Michigan area. I work for Michigan State University, and I have both my degrees from Michigan State, very proud Spartan, go green. And I have a husband and two little boys and a dog. And so Rachel and I actually met through Michigan State and Michigan Tech. Um, we partnered on some cool escape room programs. So that's how Absolutely. we got to know each other. Um, so let's just dive straight in. If you want to kind of set the scene for your lemon moment, give some of the background and kind of share with the listeners what that lemon moment is for you. Sure, absolutely. So um, my lemon moment focuses a lot around infertility and miscarriage struggles, which I know are something that a lot of people go through, but it wasn't something that I knew a lot about until I was going through it myself. So my husband and I got married very young, right out of college, and waited a while to have kids, weren't in any rush, did some traveling, everything like that, and then started trying to have kids. And about a year in, we still weren't really having any luck. It was kind of getting to the point we were going to have to start thinking about some different routes for infertility. And then um, miraculously, we were able to get pregnant, which was amazing. But then we had that moment, oh, it was about six or seven weeks in, I want to say, maybe it was even eight. It all kind of blurs together. But we went to the doctor and unfortunately did not hear that heartbeat at that first ultrasound. It wasn't something we had prepared ourselves for, even thought about. And so that was obviously very crushing, but they hit us with all the stats, you know, one in four pregnancies end in miscarriage. There's nothing you did or could have done differently. Very, very hard. It rocked our world for sure. We had waited so long for that moment. And then for that to happen. And then, you know, it had taken a year. So we didn't know what was going to come next. Well, then we were able to get pregnant. It was a, a short time later. I'd say it was about five or six months. So we were super excited. Okay, we've got another chance at this. And then once again, about six weeks in, something happened. And unfortunately, um, that pregnancy didn't make it either. That was a really, really rough time for me. I was really feeling like you know, I'm a person of faith. I was really feeling like, you know, God doesn't care about me anymore. Why is this happening to me? We have no answers. So that was really, really tough. And then literally that morning, um, I was commuting from Lansing to Grand Rapids, which for those that don't know, it's about an hour drive doing that at the time and leaving my house in the pitch black of winter 
uh, or I think it was around October, but that's that's about the start of winter <laughs> in Michigan. And I was leaving my house, uh, driving on the highway, and I hit a deer that crossed the median that I didn't even see coming. Um, it was one of those things I felt the impact before I even saw anything. Completely totaled my car. The glass of the windshield smashed in on me. Um, and I walked away with just a couple small cuts on my face. So that really turned things around for me. Like, you know, maybe that's why I had that miscarriage. Maybe that's why that happened. You know, there was everything happens for a reason. So, you know, is that why that happened? I, I might have lost that baby in that car accident. Maybe that would have been different had I not experienced that miscarriage. So maybe that was for the best. So that was a, a small turning point for me, um, but also just a really tough time that then surprisingly, the car accident kind of turned that around. So unfortunately, then we started having, you know, other attempts to try to get pregnant again. And I'd say that one was a little bit longer, but um, still not as long as the first time, probably six, seven months. Again, it kind of all blurs together. And miraculously, we were pregnant for a third time. We're like, okay, this is it. We're really good. And we made it past that first trimester stage, that 13 weeks. And we were so excited. Everything was going great. And then um, hopefully it's okay to say this. Hopefully it's not too graphic. I had some um, spotting. And we were concerned about that and went to the doctor and they said, you know, you have a small, what they call the hematoma. And they said, it's just kind of hanging out there, not hurting the baby. As long as it doesn't grow, you're going to be good. We're just going to keep an eye on it. Baby was still healthy. So we were super excited. The bleeding went away, all of that. And then fast forward to a couple of weeks later, it started back up again. And I just had that feeling, okay, something's wrong. We're, we're back to this again. So sure enough. We went to the doctor and heartbeat was still there, but it was slower. They said, no, baby's still fine. And I just, I just knew, okay, something's not right. And a couple, couple days later, I had another appointment and um, that baby had passed as well. And this was kind of my second rock bottom moment. I mean, not only had we experienced this for the third time and it really felt insurmountable at this point. And, you know, we were still being hit with no answers, no explanation of why this is happening. Um, but in addition to that, um, because I had been pregnant for so long, I was at about, oh, I think I was just shy of 20 weeks, 18 or 19 weeks. The baby was such a size that I actually had to go to the hospital and deliver. So that was an extremely, extremely emotional thing for me to have to be in the maternity ward, hear healthy babies being delivered outside my door and to, to go through that. So that was the last miscarriage. And then I'm very fortunate to say at that point, again, we didn't have any answers, um, but I had a really, really amazing doctor. And he said, you know, I'm not finding any reason why this is happening for you, but let's send you to a specialist. Let's see what's going on, if they can come up with any other solutions. And so we went to a really amazing fertility doctor and went through a few rounds of in vitro with them. Uh, the first two were unsuccessful and they told us, well, we'll try it one more time. And if that fails, you're going to have to start looking at the more expensive options. And so at that point, we knew there were some decisions to be made, things like that. Well, miraculously, try number three worked. Um, I'm happy to say my son is going to be seven uh, next month. So that was just amazing. Um, and then my son number two came along without any issue. <laughs> I'm happy to say about two and a half years after that. So yeah, I mean, the lemon moment kind of spanned about two, two and a half years for sure. Um, but happy to say we're on the other side of that now. So reflecting back kind of on, on your journey between the second and the third miscarriage, what were you feeling after the, that time of kind of going more of the traditional routes and 
not having as much success before you had moved into the pregnancy where it was more of the longer carry before uh, complications? Yeah, you know, we we were just, I felt like, yes, I want to see a specialist. I want to get some answers. I am a person that hates being uh, not in control of things. Um, so to me, yes, escalate this to a specialist, get us some help. Let's do everything we can. And the doctors weren't really willing to go that route yet. They kept saying, you know, again, they kept throwing those statistics at us, one in four miscarriages. And doctor, as great as he was, kept saying, you know, it's really not a concern until you have three in a row. The statistics are really high for people that have two or one. Once you have three, that that's where you get into the less common area. And I was like, well, I don't want to get to that area. Let's fix it now. <laughs> so yeah, it was it was tough to continue with, um, as you say, you know, traditional means and things like that and not kind of changing how we were doing things because I felt like there's got to be something they can do. And I think that was the really hard part of that lemon moment is that, we were completely powerless against it. And there was so little I felt like I could proactively be doing to help us get out of that. So yeah, that was tough for sure. So during all of this, what would you say was kind of your biggest fear going through this again and again, um, not really knowing why and nobody really had an answer for you why this was happening? Yeah. I mean, I think the the number one fear obviously was that we weren't going to be able to have a family. You know, I think... People take it for granted a little bit. There's certainly people out there that don't want kids and that's fine. That's their their decision. But for us, it was always part of the plan. So to sit there and say, could this not happen for us? Is that potentially our future? What does that mean? So I think that was really the biggest question. The biggest uncertainty is just kind of grappling with how you see your life going and what you expect for your life, and then being faced with, yeah, that's not in my control, and that may not happen, or I might need to look at things like adoption, which I had never considered, and, you know, is an amazing thing for the people that are able to do that, but just something that I hadn't considered for my life. So yeah, just really grappling with that picture you see for yourself and what you do from there. During all of these times, was there anybody specific in your life that was kind of your rock, your anchor, helped keep you grounded through all of this? Yeah, I don't know that there was any one person. I mean, obviously, my husband, great. You hear a lot of couples and maybe even some people listening that uh, sometimes those journeys can actually pull people apart because they're just so emotional. But we definitely became stronger through it, for sure. So he was my rock, but at the same time, he was going through the same emotional roller coaster I was going on. So definitely had to find family and friends. Uh, both of our families were wonderful for us. And then friends, for sure. Um, one thing that I really learned through this journey, especially after my first one, um, you know, people usually stay quiet about pregnancies until they've reached a certain point, And we were the same way. And then even after the first miscarriage, we were a little bit quiet about it. I think there's some stigma and maybe embarrassment around miscarriages. Everyone feels like, you know, you shouldn't talk about it, or maybe it's just uncomfortable to talk about. And then there's also that, did I do something wrong? Fear, certainly uh, feelings like that. So I think people tend to not talk about it. And I really found the more I opened up about it to people, uh, especially after the first one, how many people were there for us emotionally and through our journey. Um, and then also how many people had experienced the same thing. I mean, I've already talked about your, our doctor kind of throwing those stats at us, but it really, those stats came alive for me when I started talking to people about it. There's so many people that had walked in my shoes, so to speak, and so many people that could, you know, say, hey, I made it to the other side of that journey. You can too. So yeah, certainly my husband, my family, but really friends, people that, you know, had 
kids in high school that were reaching back to me um, when I did finally open up about it saying, you know, I was there, I had one or two, I went through this, you know, I've got kids now, you're, you're going to make it, things like that. So, um, and then I've already mentioned, I'm, I'm a person of faith. So certainly having that, having God. And then we also had, um, again, I've already mentioned this, but my awesome doctor that was just really willing to kind of explore all avenues with us and stick with us through everything. So I was really blessed that we had such a wide variety of support throughout it. It wasn't just one person that there were multiple people we could go to that we could count on that were there for us throughout the whole process. Were there any specific resources or research that you had done during this that was kind of comforting to you or helpful? Or did it just kind of add to the whole situation of not being extremely helpful? Yeah, um, that's a very interesting question. I certainly read websites and tried joining support groups through social media and different things like that. But to your point, yeah, I, I don't know if I would say that they were extremely helpful. I, I suppose it did help you realize once again, how many people are there on that journey with you. But at the same time, that didn't, it didn't solve anything. You know, sometimes doing research or taking an action can bring you to the other side of whatever conflict that you're dealing with. This, again, is just something totally out of your hands. And there's only so much you could do other than, you know, things like specialists and things like that, where there are some more practical solutions to. But at least in some of our instances, especially towards the beginning, those options just weren't really there. So yeah, certainly some research out there, a um, couple great uh, Facebook groups, you know, I connected with some people on in general. Yeah, I think it was just having to live through it and that day by day and try to start seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. As we kind of move forward in your timeline, you guys had attempted more of the traditional methods. And finally, you got to a point where the doctor was willing to refer to a specialist. What was it like knowing that you were kind of moving on to the next, hopefully, opportunity without knowing what it would lead to? Sure, that's a really good question as well. I think it gave us a new sense of, okay, maybe this person will have some answers for us. Maybe this person will be able to explain through testing or through whatever else why this keeps happening for us. And Ultimately, they didn't really once we first started with them. But this, at the same time, they were able to offer, okay, we're still not seeing any reason why this is happening, but we can still do these other procedures. Like I mentioned, we used IUI for our first, first child and that you know ultimately was successful. So it, I think it was just comforting to know that we had other options and that uh, we hadn't exhausted all possibilities yet. They weren't willing to say, this is impossible for you. Because that was the thing I kept trying to use to comfort myself is no one has told you that it's impossible for you to have children, um, which sadly is the case for some people. So I felt really fortunate that no one told us that no one was willing to say we're giving up on you. They were willing to try some new things. So certainly that referral to the specialist was finally like, okay, we're getting somewhere. There's new hope. And let's see where this takes us. So as you mentioned that there there was new hope with the specialist before that, had you gotten to a point where you had kind of thought there really isn't any hope left? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think those two rock bottom moments I mentioned, you know, the first one where I lost the second one and then was just feeling like, you know, God doesn't care about me right before that car accident. That was certainly one where I, I was losing a lot of hope. I um, just felt like this isn't going to happen. We should just give up. There's no point, you know, really, really down in the dumps about it. And then certainly after the third one, just feeling like, okay, they kept telling us how rare it was to have three. And yet here we are. We are part of the statistic. 
And then, you know, you asked earlier about resources that I found online. Unfortunately, I was finding people that had had six or seven or 10 miscarriages in a row. And I kept thinking, do I really want to put myself through that? I mean, is it worth it? So yeah, there, there were definitely moments, especially after the second and third, where I really felt like there's not hope here and this is never going to happen for us. And where does that leave us? I I can't even begin to imagine what that would have been like for you to go through. And like you'd said, this isn't a topic that a lot of people talk about. So I appreciate you being as open as you are and sharing this very personal journey with all of us. So as we kind of move forward into the in vitro uh, portion and they tried a couple of times, again, no success. What was it like for you when you found out that you were in a in a point where your son was coming along and kind of that transformative moment, I guess you could call it. Yeah. So I will say that there was that hovering anxiety throughout the entire nine months of being pregnant with my son where I kept waiting for that other shoe to drop, so to speak. I kept waiting for, it's not possible that this is going to actually happen for us. And I think that's probably true of everyone who, you know, goes through a journey similar to ours, that you never believe that you're going to reach the other side of um, of those struggles. So, but every day was a little bit easier. Um, you know, every appointment where we heard the heartbeat, I, I've mentioned a few times, our wonderful doctor, he basically told me, anytime you need to hear that heartbeat to reassure you, you give me a call, I'll squeeze you in. That was super reassuring just to know that. And then once I could able, actually, that's probably my turning point now that I think about it is once I could feel my son kick, that was, that was the moment because then I I could get that reassurance without going to the doctor. I could know, okay, he's still in there. We're still good. He's still fighting. We're going to make it. So the anxiety was there the whole time, but I'd say definitely when I could start experiencing that for myself, rather than just a doctor looking and uh, listening and telling me that things were good, that was definitely a turning point, but certainly not until he was physically in my arms was uh, that feeling totally gone. And I would even say it came back with my second son too. Just, are we going to go through that journey again? And not knowing, I don't think that feeling ever goes away. I think even, you know, if there was a third in our future, I think I would probably still have that anxiety. So for anyone listening, you know, it's totally normal to, if, to feel that and be worried. And I'm sure that extends to any lemon moment that someone has, you know, that, that those lemons are going to come back and you're going to maybe deal with that again. But yeah, fortunately for us, we got to the other side of it. So speaking of the other side, as we start looking kind of into your lemonade from more of a traditional pregnancy standpoint, did you guys figure out the sex before birth or did you want to go in completely unknowing? No, we definitely wanted to know. Um, I am not a surprise person. <laughs> you already mentioned I like to be in control. So uh, that definitely played into it. So yeah, both times we found out, we were so positive our first was going to be a girl because everyone kept telling us the way I was carrying, the speed of the heartbeat, you know, all those old wives tales that everyone spouts out that uh, they were sure I was having a girl. And when the ultrasound tech told us it was a boy, I actually, I think I said to her, are you sure? (laughs) (laughs) But he was definitely a boy. And then uh, second time around, we found out again and found out a boy as well. So yeah, definitely not the surprise people. And did you have any unusual cravings? I've always heard some people have crazy cravings during their pregnancies. I remember being addicted to ice cream with both, but I actually don't know if I can blame that on my children. (laughs) 
if I could just say that that was my excuse to eat as much ice cream as I want, but definitely had a sweet tooth and it was very specific to ice cream, especially my first, he was a summer baby. So, um, you know, just that time of year where ice cream just sounds amazing. So that one I remember for sure. I don't think there was really much else. Nothing, nothing super strange that I needed in the middle of the night or anything like that. (laughs) So as we kind of go into your lemonade, um, obviously that would be based around your family. So I'll let you kind of share what that has been like for you after going through an experience like this. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, you're, you're completely right. My lemonade has been uh, being able to have this family that I for so long didn't know or be assured was possible. So now looking back, I mean, my youngest um, just turned four a couple months ago. So it's crazy to think how long ago that journey was in some ways. So yeah, just just the daily enjoyment of my kids. And I say that a little tongue in cheek, knowing that we've all been quarantined together for (laughs) four months here. But um, no, I still take amazing joy in my kids, watching them grow, um, being able to experience things with them, go on trips with them and just see them see, see the world through their eyes. It's totally incredible. But I will also say another lemonade moment that I was able to make out of all this is just being able to help other people. I talked a lot about the people that were there for me and the people that whether it was someone I didn't know through a you know Facebook post or a friend that stepped up and said, I've been through this. So I've tried to be really vocal about my journey. You know, things like this don't bother me because I feel like that's what I can do with my lemons to make lemonade. I can, I'm on, you know, some just networking sites on Facebook. I'm on a women's networking site. And anytime someone posts about a struggle with that, I open myself up to say, Hey, if you want to chat, I don't know you, but I'm willing. I post every October is infant loss awareness month. And so I always do some postings um, during October and I'll have either people I'm friends with on Facebook or friends of friends on Facebook reach out and say, Hey, could we talk? Or could I connect you with my family member who's going through this? So I've been able to make new friends through that, help them through their journey, see them go through the same thing and fortunately end up with very happy results in the end as well. But it just feels like something that I can do. And maybe that's why I went through this because I I don't know why I went through that. But for me, that's what I can do with it is I can try to help other people the way people help me. And I think that's incredible that you're willing to put yourself out there for total strangers in some cases just to help provide them with some of that reassurance, that comfort and reminder, like you said, it's easy to throw around a statistic, but it's much different when you're living as part of that statistic. Yeah, absolutely. Because it feels so isolating. It feels so lonely, despite those statistics. And you really do, like I said, you start to feel how many people have been through it, who are going through it. So yeah, I, I totally don't mind. Like I said, I've met some new friends that way. So that's been exciting. But yeah, I, I want people to realize you don't have to be silent about this. You don't have to go through this alone because there is that stigma, that embarrassment, that, that suffering, that grief, um, all of that. So to let people know that they, they have someone in that journey with them is something I enjoy doing. For you personally, was there anything that kind of motivated you each day to get up and keep trying through all of this? You know, that's that's a good question. I can't really point to one thing. There were definitely, especially after the first one, I, re- I vividly remember my husband and I basically just locking ourselves in our house for probably three or four days and just being, you know, wallowing in bed, lots of tears, all of that. But, you know, the, the real world was still out there and we had to adult and... <laughs> 
uh, get back out there and go to our jobs and everything like that. So I think that was probably just what kept pushing me is knowing, you know, life has to go on. And I think anyone who goes through grief feels that they don't want to continue without that person. Um, And even though we had never met this person, it was very similar to that. And it was, you know, you do have to keep moving. You do have to go live your life. You have to go to work. You have to go to the grocery store, all that stuff. So I don't know that there was one thing that spurred us other than the love of family and friends and their encouragement. But in general, it was just the need to, you know, life goes on and to have to find a way to figure out how that life was going to go on for us. So after living through this experience, knowing what you know now, if you could go back in time and give yourself a piece of advice, is there anything that you would want to share knowing what you know now? I mean, I, I certainly figured it out through my journey, but I would I would tell myself, don't be afraid to reach out to people from the get-go. Don't be afraid that you need to go through this alone. So that's certainly a piece of advice I would give myself and to anyone is just don't be afraid to speak out and reach out for help, whatever avenue that is for you, because it obviously looks different for everyone. And then certainly if I could tell my uh, old self, I would tell them, hey, there's it all works out, <laughs> which um, you don't always know. But in my case, fortunate enough that it did. But I, I will just you know provide the piece of advice that there are lots of options. Um, I was actually surprised at the amount of options, including you know fostering and adopting and things. So yeah, to know that maybe it doesn't look how you wanted it to look, but there could be something amazing that you didn't even know you needed in your life um, that might result from it as well. So to keep an open mind, maybe. I think that's a great way to look at it. You said your your oldest is seven, youngest is four. What has been your favorite part of motherhood? <laughs> Looking at the lemonade side. Oh, man. I think... Getting them to experience, or I shouldn't say getting them to experience, um, allowing them to experience things that I love and seeing how much they love it too. Um, It's no secret to you, Ryan, that we're a a Disney crazed family. And that was like a huge thing for me the first time we were able to take both kids to the Disney parks and see their enjoyment. And my oldest, especially during quarantine, he made me print out a list of all the Disney animated movies, and we're going through all of them on Disney Plus. And he will DJ us Disney songs during dinner and stuff. And it's like, I am creating my own little uh, <laughs> Disney centric uh, child here. Without, I mean, there was certainly um, influence there, but you know, he took a lot of it himself. And so I think those are some of my greatest joys is seeing them develop passions that we can share, but also seeing them develop their own passions. I live in a house full of boys, so interests are not always the same, but um, my son has developed a passion for Pokemon and dinosaurs and all those things that little boys just love to get into. And so being able to come alongside them and their passions is really fun too. And just seeing how excited they get about things, seeing how they learn in leaps and bounds. There's just so many fun things that come with parenting. I was going to put you on the spot and say, who's your favorite child, but I don't think that's a fair question. (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) Well, if people are looking to either connect with you or follow along with your journey, Is there specific social media or a way to get in touch with you if anybody was interested in that? Yeah, um, my full name is Rachel Mangivellano, mouthful, um, M-A-N-G-I-A-V-E-L-L-A-N-O. So you can certainly find me on Facebook. Um, I'm also on Instagram. I think it's Rach Mangi, R-A-C-H-M-A-N-G-I, nine. I think there's a nine at the end of that. Um, And so, yeah, you can absolutely feel free to connect with me there. Message me if you are going through this journey and want someone to talk to or, um, like I said, connect me with someone, you know, I'm always happy to talk to people. 
So as always, we will include Rachel's info in our podcast description. So if you are interested in connecting with her or reaching out, um, it should be pretty simple for you to check the description and find all that info there. Is there any other last minute thing you thought of that you want to share with the listeners or anything else? No, nothing else I want to share. Thanks for having me on, Ryan. And I, I hope this topic helps someone out there. And again, thank you for joining me today. Um, this is a very personal subject and topic, and I know it was a lot that you had to go through to get to where you are now. So I'm really appreciative that you were willing to share that story with our listeners and hopefully help inspire and comfort other people who are going through similar situations in their life and know that there is a light at the end of the tunnel and ultimately there's an opportunity to make their own lemonade as well. Absolutely. Well, thank you all for joining us today for another episode of Crush and Lemons. Again, we really appreciate Rachel sharing this very personal topic with everybody. And I look forward to sharing more stories with you in the future. We'll talk to you in the next episode. If you want to learn more about this podcast, check out our social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Crush and Lemons. And send us a tweet with ideas for future episodes. And if you or someone you know would be interested in being one of our future guests, send us a note to crushandlemons at gmail.com. Lastly, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please share it with someone you know and consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever streaming service you've listened to today. It really helps us grow. If you're dealing with your own lemon moment, just remember you're never alone. There's always other people out there who've gone through similar things. We look forward to sharing more stories with you in the future. In the meantime, keep an ear out for when our next episode drops and work to turn your lemon moments into your very own lemonade.